Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. And we're back on Dealing Together, where we help good people who fell for bad deals. First caller? I had to buy three identical sweaters to get the fourth free. Ooh, you got fleeced. Next caller, what's your deal? I paid for 20 tanning sessions, but had to use them in a month. Now I'm orange. Ooh, you got burned. Next caller? I traded in my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24+. Hmm, how's that bad? I got to choose from their best plans. So what went wrong? Nothing went wrong. And you're calling to... To request a song? You want a song. Of course. The choice is yours. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Welcome to Business on the Brink, a production from iHeartRadio and How Stuff Works. Sometimes a company just can't catch a break, particularly if everything they make is breakable. What might seem crystal clear one day could be cloudy the next. But rather than fall into a Great Depression, maybe it's possible to bubble up your troubles and make the best out of them. This is Anchor Hawking on Business on the Brink. Hey everybody, I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Ariel Kasten. And today's episode is about anchor hawking, which I did not even know was a thing, but it was a request, right? It was from Kimberly Bostick. Uh, yeah, and anchor hawking is not like, hey folks, come see this great anchor over here on stage two. It's going to do a performance for you. No. <laughs> extra, extra, extra. It's actually a glass company. And I'll say going into this, I was like, oh, okay, it's it's a glass company. It'll be a little niche thing. Yeah. Maybe we'll find one or two little points we can talk about. They've had a whole bunch of brink moments. Yeah. As it turns out, the entire history of this company, you could argue, was a series of brink moments. And there were more than a few occasions where with just a little extra oomph, the company could have fizzled out of business. Yeah, yeah. And yet they keep going. So uh, we're going to go ahead and get started. Yes. So the story of Anchor Hawking actually begins with an older company, a company that existed before that. And that was the Lancaster Carbon Company. I got all excited because I was thinking like Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, oh, it's going to be about Amish. It's uh, Lancaster, Ohio. Not that that's not exciting, Ohio people. 
Yes, it is. I just didn't know that that was a thing until I read about this. Well, did you know, um, I'm going to put a little fun fact in here. Okay. Did you know what the nickname of the Lancaster Carbon Company was? What's that? The Black Cat. Because of all the carbon soot that would line the walls. Right. Yes. They called their facility the Black Cat because there, it was it was just coated in mm-hmm. this soot. Because, of course, of course, when you're making carbon or glass or anything like that, you're involving furnaces. And yes. They're giving off a lot of smoke. So uh, I don't know a whole lot about the Lancaster Carbon Company. It's an older company that dated from the 19th century. Mm-hmm. But I don't know exactly when it was founded. I, it's one of those where I could not find any records. About it. It's just, it was just too small and too old for me to find. All I know is when it ended, which was 1905, that the company was uh, in financial difficulty and it essentially went uh, into receivership, meaning it was essentially under the control of somebody else after going through the bankruptcy Mm -hmm. process. And so then you get a guy named uh, Isaac J. Collins who got together with precisely six of his friends. (laughs) Precisely six? Wow. Yeah, yeah, every single source I saw, it was always like, Isaac J. Collins and six friends got together. (laughs) And they pooled their cash and they bought the Lancaster Carbon Company for the princely sum of $8,000. Yeah, and in case you guys are curious, that's about $230,000 in today's money. Yes, yes. Adjusting for inflation, it's nearly a quarter of a million dollars. Nearly a quarter of a million. But uh, here's the thing is that uh, that still wasn't quite enough to get things up and running. That was enough to take it out of receivership, but they needed more for actual startup costs. So they turned to an investor (laughs) named E.B. Good. Uh, who I I think could play a guitar just like it was ringing a bell. I think it sounds like a Charles Dickens character. Uh, Very similar, yeah. And he ended up contributing another $17,000, so more than twice what that initial investment was. Almost half a million in today's money. Yeah, so now we're looking at maybe like three quarters of a million dollars almost for the full startup cost here. And that's when they formed the Hawking Glass Company. And it was named the Hawking Glass Company because... It, it was near the Hawking River. Yeah, which, again, I before I read this, I just thought, wow, it's it's like, I guess we can't call ourselves Anchor Selling, so we're calling yeah. ourselves Anchor Hawking. Well, they'll go through a bunch of name changes. But before that, in their first year of operation, the company produced and sold... About $20,000 in glassware. Which I did not adjust for inflation, but that's a whole lot of money. Yes. uh, But they needed more money to scale up production. So Collins got another $5,000 of investment from a guy named Thomas Fulton. Yes, who became the secretary treasurer for the company. Yes. Now, unfortunately, and, and this is a problem with a lot of factory jobs in this time, Hawking was known to have rough working conditions and poor wages for its employees. They were underpaid, even high-level employees at that time, comparatively. Mm-hmm. And uh, additionally, this was kind of a fun fact, I guess, kind of. The founders were not fans of unions They didn't like the all. idea no. of employees being able to band together and demand better working conditions and salaries. Yeah, so much so that when there was a glass workers' strike in 1911, Fulton hired scabbers from the Glass Bottle Blowing Association, or the GBBA, to take up the work. So wow. he was just like, I'm going to hire scabbers because these unions are dumb. Uh, <laughs> Yikes. Now, I will say they did improve conditions in the 1930s when we got the National Industrial Recovery Act and later the Wagner Act under FDR. And Hawking said, yeah, we'll 
100% follow all of these regulations. So things yeah. got better after that time. Yeah. Once it became the law, then yeah. suddenly, suddenly like, they were totally on board. Sure, we'll play. Uh, there, was a, there was a little bit of a setback in 1924. Nope. Um, yeah, fire burned down the factory. Not surprising when you're dealing with molten glass. Yeah. As it turns out, uh, first of all, things were a lot more flammable back then. Yeah. And we don't talk about it a lot. A lot of factories had fires at various points yeah. of history mm-hmm. of this company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at that point, uh, that meant that the 650 people who would normally work in that factory had no factory to work in. Yay, holiday. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but they actually were able to rebound from that. The company had made enough money so that they were able to reinvest that money and build out new factories. And they also had enough to go and acquire a couple of other glassmaking companies. Yeah. But then we get the Great Depression, which, as we know, was hard for so many companies. Yeah, it wasn't so great, as it turns out. No. It was a really but, terrible depression. But it wasn't that bad for Hawking Glass. That's, that's true, uh, because they were able to... Mostly just by coincidence, they had happened to not by coincidence, but but good timing. They had just developed a, uh, a an approach that would end up dramatically speeding up the process of glass blowing. And by speeding it up, they also meant that it was more efficient, thus therefore less costly. So ultimately, what that translates into is that they could sell glassware for less money than they had and still make a profit. Which is great because everybody had less money. Yes. So they could end up selling like two tumblers for a nickel, for example, and still make a profit off of that. Golly, if I could have two tumblers for a nickel, I would build a fort out of tumblers. I'll I'll tumble for you. (laughs) Different tumbler. Oh, right. Got it. So that managed to allow them to stay afloat during the Great Depression. They were actually still able to sell to the average consumers out there because they were able to price their products at a very competitive level. Yeah. Yeah. And in 1937, Hawking Glass merged with a company called Anchor Cap and Closure Corporation, and they became the Anchor Hawking Glass Corporation. Yeah. So Anchor Cap and Closure, that name probably gives you a hint. It was sort of a bottling company. Yeah. 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 So if you're ever a Fallout fan, this is where they made the money, (laughs) apparently, because it's all in bottle caps. Okay. That's enough of a tangent there. So then we get up to uh, the 50s and 60s. And we're, we're rushing through this because as dramatic as these stories are where things like the Great Depression or a fire could have wiped them out. It's not the biggest brink moment. Yeah, we're not even close yet. So in the 50s and 60s, uh, Anchor Hawking Glass Corporation would expand. Uh, They also not just grew as a company, they started to diversify in the sort of stuff that they made. And they also made more acquisitions. They opened up more factories. They actually created R&D facilities. Mm -hmm. They uh, acquired a mold to... Form glass. Yeah, not like mold on a bread. No, not that they, kind of. They mold. weren't into penicillin. No, no. I mean, I mean, maybe if they got a cut or something. Um, <laughs> and then by the end of the '60s, they had expanded so much that they became the Anchor Hawking Company. They removed glass from the name of their company mm-hmm. because they felt that that was too limiting. That made yeah. people think, oh. Like the glass company? So they just took that out of their name. Because they were also doing other things. Yeah. Like bottling. Yeah. Peanut butter jars. Yeah. Uh, Beer bottles and closures and glass tableware. They were making millions of dollars in sales and profits. Now, the thing is, 
up until this point, Anchor Hawking was kind of getting a, a reputation for being conservative. They had never acquired any debt by this point, which mm-hmm. is kind of impressive considering they've had some fires and stuff. Yeah, the, and they, were able, they were able to be profitable enough early enough that they were able to pay off those initial investments without having it just continue to loom over the head of the company. Yes, but it was decided that Anchor Hawking needed some new life breathed into it. So they got an outsider to be their CEO, John Gushman. And he was the one who took the glass out of the name. Around this time, they were at their peak. They had about 5,000 employees in their headquarters alone. Mm -hmm. And they were Lancaster, Ohio's largest employer at the time. And under Gushman, there was a bunch of turnover and managers, and they acquired nine companies. So things seemed to be going okay. Yeah. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? Well, we'll tell you. But first, we're going to take a quick break. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So, buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So, how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud, Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less, like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, Take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. Does sleeping hot keep you up at night? Meet the Lisa Chill Collection. These cooling mattresses work like magic with a cool-to-the-touch cover, zoned springs, and comfy foam layers. Say goodbye to restless nights and wake up refreshed. Lisa's Chill Mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers that whisk away heat, so you always sleep just right. These hybrids blend up to 1,032 breathable springs and plush foams for the ultimate cooling and comfort. And the Chill Collection doesn't just feel great, it looks great too. With thoughtful design and pillowy quilt tops. No matter your budget, Lisa has a Chill Mattress for you. For a limited time, save up to $460 on Chill Mattresses and get two free pillows iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com forward slash iHeart. With Lisa, your purchase has purpose. Every year, Lisa donates thousands of mattresses to those in need. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Now, Ariel, you did the classic cliffhanger before our break back there. And I'm going to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. I haven't read this next note, so I honestly don't know where things are going. So I want to hear. Okay. So by the end of the 70s, Anchor Hawking had expanded into plastics, lighting, cabinetry, and stoneware. Wow. So well outside of just glass. Yes. 
Uh, they had also acquired $35 million in long-term debt from the purchase of the cabinetry company, which also did window hardware. Gotcha. So by acquiring this company, they had to take out loans in order to make that acquisition fee, yeah. and now they have this debt. Which I, I don't understand why they're saying, oh, well, the company's never been in debt. We should take some debt on to get <laughs> some companies. Like, that'll help us grow. It seems counterintuitive, but they tried it. Uh-huh. Around the same time, though, they were facing downward turn in sales, rises in costs. There were some price control issues. And then they had a 10-week union strike. Wow. OK, so it's like everything that could go wrong pretty much went wrong all at once. Yes. So they knew that they had to start making some changes to bring those profits back up before they fell too far to salvage. Now, I'm guessing that part of that just meant they needed to kind of shed some of these these businesses they had been acquiring. Yes, uh, they did. In 1978, they started divesting themselves of some of their previous acquisitions, although they were still making some. Like they bought the Shenango China Company in 1979, but their acquired lighting company, since we said they were in, into lighting, that yeah. burnt down. <laughs> I mean, again, you know. Stuff is flammable. Although in the in the in the late seventies, less so than it was in the thirties. Yes, yes. They sold their stoneware acquisition. They sold some other stuff, and then they replaced Gushman. Ah, so the outside CEO was now truly back on the outside. Yeah. Well, he decided to take on some debt right at the decline of things. So I'm sure that didn't help his position in the right. company. They replaced him with a man named J. Ray Topper. J. Ray. J. Ray. You can call me J. Or you can call me Ray. Well, by the early 1980s, uh, they were doing all right as far as their sales were concerned, but they were still losing money overall. Mm-hmm. They were not profitable. So at that point, they looked to see what else they can shed and how they can you know, manage this business to return to profitability. And part of that was selling a glass container division uh, for $300 million to Wesray Corporation. Uh, at least it was worth $300 million. But Wesray didn't pay $300 million. No, they only paid $68 million, And Anchor Hawking didn't even get all that. Yeah. Yeah, so yikes. Uh, and part of this was because you were starting to see how plastic was becoming so cheap and so easy to produce. And it could be churned out so fast that it was becoming a major alternative to glass containers. So for a lot of stuff out there, there were companies that were switching from glass to plastic. Not for everything, obviously. You know, if you want to go out and get pickles, they tend to be in glass jars, not plastic ones. But for stuff like peanut butter, which had been, you know, an old mainstay of the Anchor Hawking Company, well, that was going into plastic now. Yeah, so this company, this this offshoot glass container company, got purchased by Vitro SA in 1989, went bankrupt in 1996, and was bought by Wezada Investment Partners. It still had Anchor Hawking in its name, and I think it's still around, but the notes kind of trailed off after that point. Right, and it, and it didn't have any actual connection to the older Anchor Hawking company at that point, apart from that name. Yes, and now... We get to our old – we get to the beginning of the real brink. Yeah. And we get to the entrance of our old, old friend who we love talking about, Carl Icahn. Ah, uh, yes. The activist <laughs> investor who has used his enormous wealth to influence companies across multiple industries, frequently to the point of essentially controlling what they did mm-hmm. from that point. And he tried to do that here. Uh, By 1982, 
he had gotten 6% of the Anchor Hawking Company. Wow. Okay. Yeah, which uh, was cash rich at that time from the sale of their – Their divisions. Yeah. yeah. And they were undervalued because of the lack of sales. And he saw the chance to take advantage of them. He did what is called green mailing them. Oh, I interesting. I don't think I've ever heard the term green mailing. Well, I've read it at least once, Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> well, he he uh, in return for these big investments, he was saying, you know what, I I deserve a seat on your board of directors because mm-hmm. I'm a I'm a major investor in the company, and the company wanted to not do that. Yeah. And he said, cool, you got to buy my shares back at like a premium price. Yeah. So this is one of those cases where uh, it's almost like a hostile takeover, mm-hmm. right? Where where an investors come in and they take uh, enough shares of a company to have, you know, like if it's common stock, they can have voting control of the company. And if they do that, with enough shares, then they can determine what the company does no matter what the board of directors wants it to do. Yeah. Um, so in this case, you know, Icon didn't have that much uh, shares in it and he couldn't really influence enough other investors to do it. But he had enough for him to be a pain in the butt. Yes. Uh, so that didn't help because they did buy those shares back because they wanted to keep their independency from him. Mm-hmm. In 1985, they had to lay off 650 people after closing one of their major glassware plants in Lancaster. Oof. Yeah, so not a good sign. Yep. Then in February of 87, uh, they had to, well, there was a, a long battle for control of of uh, anchor hawking, right? Yes. What the New York Times calls a five-month-long takeover battle. That's it's crazy to think that this is over a company that is primarily known for making glassware. Yeah. So it is. It's just ridiculous. Um, but uh, the person who was trying to take over Anchor Hawking was the Newell Company. Right. Who also had similar type products, housewares and such, and sold at similar locations as Anchor Hawking. And they bought the Anchor Hawking Company for $338.2 million in a leveraged hostile takeover. So exactly what we were talking about a second ago. They'd got enough control of shares to say, all right, we agreed to this acquisition. Yes. They had started buying shares in Anchor Hawking in preparation to take the company over in the summer of 86. So it took, like you said, about half a year of just acquiring shares to get to the point where they could do this. And once they had enough stake in the company, they offered to buy the company at $34 a share. And the board of Anchor Hawking said... No dice. Yeah, there's too many conditions attached to this. We're not comfortable with it. So they revised their offer in January of 1987, Mm. and Anchor Hawking agreed. Gotcha. So at this point, you had a couple of different options that were presented to the shareholders in an effort to make this attractive for them to say, yes, uh, we – we're totally yeah. on board. Which, by the way, the first of was the revised offer. They went over the CEOs of Anchor Hawking's head to yeah. the board members to say, hey, we want to buy you. And the board agreed. Right. So one of the options they had was that uh, shareholders would receive $16 a share and a $16 principal amount of subordinated debentures, which are not the same thing as subordinated dentures. dentures. Yeah. yeah. Which I kept wanting to type when I was writing yes. these notes. Yes. Yeah. But so what is subordinated debt? Well, when you have a company and you have subordinated debt, that's essentially debt that you pay off last, right? Like mm-hmm. you have you have various loans and debt that you have to pay. You're obligated to pay that back. Subordinated debt 
is the lowest priority stuff. And so before you pay off your subordinated debt, you have to pay off everything else. So the $16 per share plus $16 uh, for the, the subordinated debentures, that's essentially saying once the company has paid off all its other debt, then the money that's left over will be uh, – at least some of it will be d- uh, paid out in these $16 mm-hmm. debentures. So that was option one. So if you if you want to cash out, you got to wait. Yes. Yeah. You have to wait and you have to hope that there's enough money in this deal to pay off all the outstanding debt. Then option two was shareholders would receive one share of the holding company's convertible stock with an annual dividend of around $2 a share and a liquidation price of $32 per share. And then that could be converted to common stock at a 25% premium. So what does that mean? Well, dividend's a a payout. Mm -hmm. So if you have a, a stock that pays with dividends, then on a regular basis, you get a payout whatever that payout is is rated for that particular stock. This is determined by the company's board of directors. And in the United States, at least, there's no one rule about how frequently these are paid out. Some companies pay them out quarterly, so you'll get one-fourth of the amount uh, four times a year. Some do it semi-annually, some do it annually. You know, it all depends on the company. Anyway, it means that every year you would get this $2 and a little bit more paid out as a Mm -hmm. dividend, not very much per share, but if you have a lot of shares, it adds up. And it's meant to be a way to uh, encourage people to reinvest in the company, right? To Mm -hmm. buy, they take their dividend and then they use that to buy more shares in the company. There are certain companies that became famous for their dividends and that was like the reason to own stock. GE for a very long time, that was the type of company they were. Yeah. And then common stock is uh, the type of stock where if you own common stock, you have a vote on company matters, right? A share represents like a vote. So if there are lots and lots and lots of shares out there, it doesn't amount to much. But if you own thousands of shares, then you have a lot of voting Mm -hmm. power. Um, That's in uh, contrast to preferred stock where it's a share in the company, but you don't have any voting rights. But they also had a third option. They did. So what was option three? Well, if Anchor Hawking Company shareholders didn't like those options, they could choose to defer paying taxes as long as they held on to their shares in the new company. Yeah. So really what this was was telling shareholders, hey, we want you guys to believe in this and to, you know, hold on to these shares. Uh, You know, obviously, like – and attracting shareholders is great because it means new investments coming into the company – Mm-hmm. You don't have to raise as much money then because you have influx of of cash coming in. So this was all part of the plan to try and keep the company stable during this transition. Yes. And they renamed the company Anchor Hawking Specialty Glass. Glass is back in the name. Glass is back in the name. Well, it's apropos. Uh, and the head of Newell, Daniel Ferguson, became the head of Anchor Hawking. Right. And then the first thing he starts to do is look at the profitability sheets, right, for all yeah. the different facilities. Yeah, like he wasted no time. Yeah. Essentially, it's like, hey, if you're not, if you're not in the, the black. You're gone. Yeah. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to kick you to the curb. And um, then for the plants that were doing well, he would look at reinvesting in the plants, right, mm-hmm. to improve their operations. Which is good. Yep. And so then he started looking at the different stuff that Anchor Hawking was making 
and decided to sort of organize the company around the types of products the different places were specializing in, right? So you would have a specific division for one type of product versus another. Yeah. And then he fired a whole bunch of executives (laughs) and employees at the HQ. Yeah. Uh, Within weeks of this merger's approval, and he moved the headquarters to Illinois and all of the manufacturing to Lancaster. And... This dropped sales some for Anchor Hawking. So they were they were selling fewer products. Yes, but the savings that they had made made up for that. Yeah, so this is one of those reasons that we see companies doing downsizing, right? It's one of those things about cutting yeah. costs. Sometimes it's absolutely necessary. There are times where a company really does have too many employees, right? Yeah. Uh, more frequently, we see companies that probably don't have too many employees, but they want to make that that quarterly goal yeah. and, the, and an easy way of doing it, quote unquote, easy way of doing it is to cut down on overhead. They have more expendable employees than they have expendable cash. Yeah, right. Uh, not to say that those employees that get laid off are expendable. No, no. We those, There were air quotes around those you words. You couldn't see it. Yeah, I did. Uh, I tried I to make them audible, but. <laughs> uh, so what, what happens now? Well, by 1994, Anchor Hawking's various divisions were contributing over $400 million into Newell's $2 billion of sales. With Glassware specifically making up 150 million of that. Okay, so Newell's doing like two billion dollars in business, mm-hmm. and 400 million of that is from, from Anchor Hawking. Yeah, so right. again, things seem to be going pretty well. But you know what? We're not done brinking yet. We aren't. We'll uh, we'll tell you what happens next right after this break. Does sleeping hot keep you up at night? Meet the Lisa Chill Collection. These cooling mattresses work like magic with a cool-to-the-touch cover, zoned springs, and comfy foam layers. Say goodbye to restless nights and wake up refreshed. Lisa's Chill Mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers that whisk away heat so you always sleep just right. These hybrids blend up to 1,032 breathable springs and plush foams for the ultimate cooling and comfort. And the Chill Collection doesn't just feel great, it looks great too with thoughtful design and pillowy quilt tops. No matter your budget, Lisa has a chill mattress for you. For a limited time, save up to $460 on chill mattresses and get two free pillows. iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com forward slash iHeart. With Lisa, your purchase has purpose. Every year, Lisa donates thousands of mattresses to those in need. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Okay, 
So, 94, we were talking about how Anchor Hawking was making up about $400 million of the overall $2 billion in sales that mm-hmm. Newell was doing. Just a few years later, though, Newell was looking at the possibility of uh, kind of shedding Anchor Hawking and getting rid of it entirely. Yes. In 2001, they were trying to sell Anchor Hawking to a company called Libby Glass. I heard some reports that Anchor Hawking might have been underperforming, but mainly this was because Newell had made a really poorly thought out acquisition. Who did who did they buy? They bought Rubbermaid. And they bought Rubbermaid at a time when the brand was really struggling. Uh, it, it was kind of suffering from the Walmart effect. And not only did they buy it at a time when it was struggling, uh, they very likely overpaid for it. Yes. And then... So now you've got this this bad investment you've made. You've paid too much for a bad investment. You got a couple of options, right? One mm-hmm. is that you you spin it off, you sell it off at a loss, and you eat the the cost of that, which no one really wants to do. Another possibility is, well, if we really focus on this business, maybe we can turn it around. But if we want to really focus on it, we may have to get rid of some other stuff in our company in order to devote yeah. the, the attention we need to. Yeah. I mean, part of the problem is that even though Rubbermaid and Newell were both focusing on homewares t- to a degree, mm-hmm. just the, the sizes of the different corporations didn't match up and the marketing strategy and all that. Uh, Business Week called this merger the merger from hell. It it was, it was kind of a little bit insane. I had to I tried to really condense what happened there, but yeah, it's it merits a story all by itself. Yes, yes. But Newell tried to, as we said, sell off some divisions to keep Rubbermaid. Uh, Newell's stock values dropped fifty percent in two years following the acquisition, and Rubbermaid's Oof. stock dropped thirty five percent. And Newell had to write off five hundred million dollars in losses as goodwill. Mm. So selling off Anchor Hawking wouldn't just be because they needed to focus on Rubbermaid, but literally because they needed to cover some of this yes, cost. Yes, yes. Uh, they sold them off as a – or they were trying to sell them off as a debt finance buyout. Mm. Uh, the federal government, though, said, no, Libby can't buy Anchor Hawking. It was too too close to Libby's business, I assume. So it's sort of like an anti-competitive thing. Possibly. Yeah. So instead, they were bought by a division of Cerberus Capital Management called Global Home Products, yeah. along with several other divisions of Newell. I just want to say that Cerberus Capital Management sounds awfully ominous to me. It really does. I'm just thinking of three-headed dogs and stuff. <laughs> you know. All right. So, so the thing, though, was that Cerberus actually had a reputation for turning companies around. They did. They did. Sadly, though, <laughs> this time they didn't do so well on that front because a few short years later in 2006, Anchor Hawking and Global Home Products filed for Chapter 11 protection. So the company known for swooping in and rescuing uh, other companies suddenly needed, at least this part of it, needed rescuing itself. Yes. So Anchor Hawking isn't gone. They're not out of the game yet. They were sold to Monomoy Capital Partners which is a much smaller investment company for $75 million in cash and $20 million in liabilities. Mm. And at this time, uh, Anchor Hawking was making revenues of around $200 million. Uh, and they were still a, a leading name in, in glassware, mm-hmm. right? But 
despite that, they were starting to have some pretty stiff competition, largely from glassware that was being imported from other countries that was, you know, much cheaper. Yeah. I mean, for a long time, that wasn't an issue because glassware is fragile, and so you don't really want to ship it overseas. But times change. Uh, The goal that Monomoy had was to make Anchor Hawking a standalone, and they did for a while until they acquired the Juanita Group in 2011. If you don't know Juanita, they're mostly known for doing, like, silverware. Mm, Gotcha. Yeah. And in 2012, they merged Anchor Hawking with the Juanita Group to create Everywhere Global. Mm -hmm. And then uh, that same year, they had $4 million in losses. And then the following year... Uh, or in, it, everything got better, right? Everything was nope. much better in twi- No? No. In 2013, they suffered $17 million in losses. Yes. I looked at the end of the year report for Everywhere Global. It was not a happy report. No. They became a publicly traded company in 2013 after a bunch of financial and regulatory issues. Uh, but most of the company was still owned by Monomoy. So when everything went poorly, their debt quickly exceeded their credit limits. Yep. So then you get to 2014 when the manufacturing plant would actually go through a temporary shutdown, right? Yes. After what was called a quote-unquote dismal first quarter. I mean, after a year where you've lost almost $20 million, I wonder what their definition of dismal is. $38 million. Whoa, for one quarter? Whoa. Yes. Their goal in the shutdown was to reduce inventory and improve liquidity and open up in a month or so. It's funny because you would think that just to improve liquidity in glassware, you just turn the temperature up. Jonathan. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, They said the losses were due to a drop in sales. I'm just moving on. Yeah, you can tell I'm not the one who did these notes. (laughs) Because I'm the one making terrible jokes. No, please, please. <laughs> Look, it's it's an equal share on the terrible jokes, Jonathan. That's fair. Again, Everywhere said that the losses were due to a drop in sales to food service companies and also high utility costs. I also want to mention that Everywhere in this case is every W-A-R-E where? Like every tableware. Yeah, because when we say Everywhere, we mean the company Everywhere. Yeah. Not that— It's not, not every that, where. Yeah, not that it was happening everywhere. Yes. Uh, Their loss was so large that quarter, and I guess overall, that they ended up going into breach of contract on a $250 million credit agreement. Yeah, the stock for Everywhere dropped all the way down to $0.94 a share, which is not great. When you drop down below a dollar, you get delisted. Yes. Uh, They sought to fix the breach and, and make their creditors happy and negotiate an extension. But by April of 2015, the Everywhere group entered bankruptcy. Mm. The second bankruptcy for Anchor Hawking. With, uh, they, at the time, they said they had assets of somewhere between 100 and $550 million. That's a pretty wide range. Yes, and liabilities of somewhere between $500 million and $1 billion. Okay, well, that's a bigger range. Yes. Right. Yeah. And their plan was for a prepackaged bankruptcy, which would give their lenders control of the company once they exited in two to three months. Now, at this point, the CEO of uh, Everywhere was a guy named Sam Solomon. And he said the company wasn't about making product. It was about making money. One, I'm pretty sure that the workers at the companies weren't super happy about that. And two, uh, they weren't making enough money to cover the costs, so (laughs) they weren't doing such great business either way. Yeah, well, regardless, the lenders decided to be nice and help with this bankruptcy. They restructured their debt, and the Everywhere Group left bankruptcy in June of that same year. Mm. So... Are we through with all the brink moments now? Um, 
there any other brink moments I need to worry about? You, you, you brought me on a glass roller coaster. I did bring you on a glass roller coaster. There are no more brink moments, but there, there is still some movement okay. in, in the company. Well, let's, let's yeah. talk about what's happened post-bankruptcy emergence. Well, first of all, they, the company really started focusing on reducing their debt, something by like 84%, mm. and has actually very vigorously sought this goal. Mm-hmm. In 2016, they brought in former Procter & Gamble executive Patrick Lockwood-Taylor, and he thought that a lot of the losses that Anchor Hawking was experiencing, not just because of all of these hostile takeovers and poor management decisions, was due to the brand losing its meaning through all of these changes. Mm. And so he really wanted to put new emphasis on quality products and making them affordable and really bringing back what Anchor Hawking was known for. And I uh, guess the Juanita group as well. Yeah. He really wanted to play up community importance and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the the factory workers... I mean, they're obviously not happy. Through all of this turmoil, their wages are being cut. Their benefits are being cut. People are getting laid off. In 2014, when the shutdown happened, their 401k contributions got nixed. Yikes. And I don't know if they're back now, but they at least weren't back for a good while. So so, so this whole time while people are trying to move paper around to keep the company going, the people who are actually responsible for making the products are suffering the most. Yes, yes. And the factories, of course, are going into some amount of disrepair because there's all of this focus elsewhere. Right. Um, again, like I said, I don't know if conditions have improved. I certainly hope so. Factory work is not – it's so needed, but it is not easy. No, no. It is not the glamorous work. No. In 2017, the company changed their name from Everywhere Global to the Juanita Group – in an effort to emphasize their longstanding leadership in the dining and food preparation industry. Hmm. But they also started outsourcing their customer service to Infosys in India, which, of course, cut more jobs and more costs. Gotcha. So bring us up to date. What's going on over the last couple of years? Well, in 2018, after they got a $50 million capital investment infusion from one of their largest stockholders, Center Lane Partners, Mm They brought back in Mark Eichhorn, who we didn't really talk about, but he was Anchor Hawking CEO from 94 to 99 in that era of Newell's ownership before they tried to sell off again. Mm -hmm. And he was also Everywhere's president from 2004 to 2012. So here's a guy who's been part of this company in two separate stints coming back again. Coming back again. So I wonder if he just kind of kept getting ousted whenever the acquisitions happened. and it's, then It's entirely possible. We've seen that sort of stuff happen in other companies yeah. before. But yeah, I don't think I've ever seen it happen twice in the same company. But Yeah. In 2019, Juanita Group sold a large portion of their food service division to Crown Brands in an effort to focus more on selling their glassware and focus on anchor hawking. And they also opened a showroom at 41 Madison in New York to – help strengthen, I guess, their growth that they're experiencing now. And kind of to establish themselves in the minds mm-hmm. of consumers again. Uh, I'll have to drop, drop by there next time I'm in New York. I go you there should. fairly frequently now. So, you know, there's – it's kind of hard. Like we often like to sum up our episodes with lessons. Mm-hmm. This one's a little tricky just because uh, there were so many things that happened within the entire history of this company and so many times. Like there were so many different threats, some external, some internal, that Mm -hmm. this company experienced throughout its entire history. I I guess, you know, the first thing we can say is if you're working in a highly flammable media, make your factories fireproof as best you can. Uh, But, I mean, also a lot of this was just hostile takeover. So, 
you can try to fight it, but yeah, it's uh, I mean, a lot of this is is from that culture of the eighties mm-hmm. where the hostile takeover was like a a prime uh, methodology for getting control of a company. And since those days, the practice has largely fallen out of favor. It's not that it can never happen again, but there were a lot of high-profile hostile takeovers Mm -hmm. that ended very poorly for lots of people. So it's not something you see nearly as frequently as you did in the 80s. No, but, you know, it's not surprising to have a bunch of bankruptcies when you have three corporate owners in 15 years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, And again, it's... We should also mention this in no way was a reflection on the quality of the products. Yeah, right? the the issue with the company was not their products or even failing to Adapt. modernize. Yeah, they were they were adapting to the market. They were, but it was often because whatever parent company had control of them at the time was dealing with issues not directly related to anchor hawking, and then having to leverage anchor hawking in order to deal with those issues. Yeah. Uh, now, I wonder if things would have turned out differently had they not fought Carl Icahn on his original move to take over the company. It's hard to say. I mean, uh, you know, there's it's impossible unless we were able to travel to some sort of parallel universe. And uh, mm. I got other plans for this weekend. I so. do, too. Okay. I do, too. But I want to end this episode with one fun fact. Sure. In the 1950s, Anchor Hawking helped sponsor the late night show Broadway Open House on NBC. So... In a lot of the articles I read, they're actually credited with helping with the invention of late-night television. Interesting. Yeah. 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 One of these days, we'll have to do, like, an episode about some of the earliest uh, sponsors of things like radio and TV. Because those were companies that, if it weren't for those companies, we never would have had radio and television programming. It was only because of their money that we were able to even get that stuff. Yeah. But that's a topic for a different episode. We've got a lot of plans for some interesting ideas for upcoming episodes, uh, but we also continue to get amazing suggestions from you guys. And keep it up because if it weren't for that suggestion, I probably never would have learned anything about Anchor Hawking. And it was a fascinating story. Yeah, I agree. If you have suggestions, you can email us at feedback at thebrinkpodcast.show. Yep. And you can visit our website. That's thebrinkpodcast.show. You're going to find an archive of all of our past episodes there. You'll also find information about us. Yeah. Also, if you like this show, tell your friends about it. Give us a a good review on iTunes or whatever podcatching app you use. We'd really appreciate it. Yeah. No, word of mouth is one of the most powerful ways to spread the love and get more more listeners. And the more listeners we get, the more suggestions we get. And frankly, the easier my job is. (laughs) So, you know, from a selfish point of view, do it. Anyhow, until next time, I'm Ariel Kasten. And I'm Jonathan Strickland. Business on the Brink is a production of iHeartRadio and How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Don't- 
Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable.